Well, good morning, Faith family. You guys are ready to go this morning, aren't you? I can tell, man, you're fired up. All right, let's go Luke 20. Luke 20 is our passage this morning. We are bringing our series on illusions to a close. Uh, Next week will be the final week on that. I hope you're not too sad about that. How many of you, I'm just curious, have been challenged, encouraged by looking at the parables of Jesus? Anybody? Yeah, a lot of you. Awesome. That's fantastic. We haven't looked at all of them. Uh, We'll come back to some others at another time. But uh, I I did think it would be appropriate for me to share with you, and I often tease about... um, you know, getting negative email. And honestly, by God's grace, I don't get that many. Um, But I do get some email that just share what God's doing in people's lives, how the gospel is transforming them and causing them to think differently. And so I want to share this with permission from last week uh, from someone uh, that wrote me said, I've been struggling the last couple of weeks with being faithful in my attendance. I woke up this morning and felt such a prodding to attend. I actually sat down after getting ready and thought, I'm just not going to go today. But I just kept being nudged to get out the door, to get in my car, and to drive to Berean. I cried through most of the service. I've been struggling with the concept of Christ's love for me. This past week has been one of the loneliest weeks of my life. Because I have failed to love others and have hurt them in the process. I've struggled with insecurity with guilt because of my sin, and with being single. But I was reminded of how valuable I am in God's eyes and how amazing the gospel is. It's meant for me. I am that sheep you were talking about. God pursues me relentlessly, not because of anything I do or am, but because I'm his child and he loves me. So thanks for the emphasis of the gospel. I grew up in a fundamentalist church. I grew up with rules under him, but now as an adult, I'm learning about a relationship with him. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, praise God. That's awesome. Now, that represents uh, several emails I get and conversations I have in the hallway, so I'm going to ask you to do something for me. Email me your story. We want to know, what is God teaching you? What is God doing in your life? We have over 2,000 people that walk through these doors on a given weekend. There's no way we can track every God story that's happening. And there are many, praise Him, that are happening. And so let us know, how is the gospel causing you to rethink your life and challenging your life? We'd love to know what God is doing. So, all right, Luke chapter 20, uh, we get to uh, another parable here of Jesus, and it's going to be a heavy one. Just get ready. Are you ready? It's going to be hard, all right? So let's get to work. Luke 20, verse 9, if you're able to stand for the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 20, and look at verse 9. It says, He began to tell the people this parable, a man planted a vineyard and led it out to tenants, uh, and he went to another country for a long time. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard, but the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed, and he sent yet a third This one also they wounded and cast out. The owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I'll send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir. 
Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Now, when they heard this, they said, surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. This is God's word. Let's pray. Help us, O Lord, understand what these words mean. Help us um, apply them to our lives. We need your spirit to come and uh, illumine us to be able to see this truth. And so help us, God, we pray, uh, to be conformed to the image of Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As the police lights flashed all around him, I'm pretty sure all Don wanted was a cigarette. He was a nervous wreck. See, Don was a brand new believer, and he'd been saved out of a very difficult life. He, He was a traveling musician. He went from town to town and bar to bar. He'd been on drugs. He'd had numerous female relationships. In fact, he was even at the point of committing suicide when somebody shared with him about how you can have hope through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Don believed the gospel. He was baptized. And and he had such a desire and such a burden to tell other people about the hope they can have in Jesus, the very hope that he'd experienced. But, But he didn't know how to share that, so he signed up for an evangelistic training program at his local church. It was called Evangelism Explosion. Some of you may have heard of that. It's an evangelism training that teach you, teaches you how to start a conversation about the gospel with a specific question. So Don got his training, and he was excited, and he went out to share the gospel for the very first time. Comes up to his very first home, knocks on the door, and out comes the middle-aged lady. What Don did not know is that that lady had been through a terrible divorce. What Don did not know is that lady's ex-husband was serving time in prison. What Don also did not know is that lady's ex-husband had been sending her death threats that he was going to send somebody to her home to kill her. She opens the door sees a stranger standing on her front porch who looks rather nervous. And Don says what he'd been trained to say, the first words out of his mouth, ma'am, if you were to die tonight, where would you spend eternity? (laughs) Now, as you can imagine, that caused a commotion. That lady screamed. She called the cops on Don. And there's Don, a brand new believer, his first witnessing opportunity, thinking, what did I get myself into? You know, I laughed at that story when I heard it as well, because everything turned out all right. But then I got to thinking how infrequent it is that the gospel causes controversy in my life. 
When is the last time the gospel of Jesus Christ was a threat to you? When is the last time it caused that kind of chaos, that kind of commotion in your life? Because what I would submit to you this morning is that before Jesus comforts you, he offends you. Now, we here at Berean talk all the time about the hope of Jesus and the peace we have in Jesus, the comfort we have in the gospel, but we need to be balanced and recognize that before it's that, it is an offense to the way we live our lives. Which is why Galatians chapter 5, verse 11, the Apostle Paul speaks of the offense of the cross. 1 Corinthians 1.23, he says, We preach Christ crucified. What is that? A stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. In other words, listen here, Berean. I love you. I'm your pastor. Listen up. Jesus isn't a precious moments figure. He is Lord and Savior, and that has real implications for our lives. And that is exactly what we see in this text. Notice here the threat of the authority of God. Look back at verse 1 for the context. One day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priest and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, now notice what they say, tell us by what authority you do these things. Or who it is that gave you this authority. Jesus is teaching. He's preaching the gospel. Man, people are, people are amazed. They are interested. They are listening. They are following. Lives are being changed. But the religious leaders are getting mad. Why? Because they're not listening to them anymore. This Jesus has become a threat to the very way in which they live their lives. That's a problem for them. So they come up to Jesus and they say, hey, big old boy, who gives you the authority to do this? Who gives you the authority? Who gives you the right to say what you're saying? Now, remember, we've learned over and over again, just don't try to put Jesus in a corner. It never works out well. Jesus says, let me ask you a question. Was John the Baptist's ministry from heaven or earth? Now, that's kind of an odd question, but here's the situation it puts the religious leaders in. If they say, well, yeah, his ministry was from heaven, that is from God, that means everything John said about Jesus is true, and they're not about to admit that. If they say it's from earth, that is, it is worldly, they are going to defame and belittle a prophet that is very popular among the people, so they don't want to do that. So what do they do? You can read this in verse 7. They say, we don't know. I don't know. I don't even want to have this conversation. What's going on here? They are questioning the authority of Jesus. Why? Because the authority of Jesus has exposed them. They want to be in control, and Jesus is a threat to that. So he tells a parable, verse 9. 
a man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants, went to another country for a long time. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Now, this is a very, very common uh, story. It's almost in every culture. I'm going to summarize Matthew and Mark in this as well. A man owns land. He plants a vineyard. He cultivates the vineyard. He has it just the way he wants it. And then he has some tenants come in to manage it until he returns. Here's the big hairy problem. The tenants start acting like their owners. When when the landowner sends his servants to come and get the fruit, what do the tenants say? No. Why? They're acting like they own the place. This is ours to give or to keep. We want it all for ourselves. Why? We think we own it. Now, to get you emotionally involved in that story, I want you to think of it this way. So come with me with your minds into this situation. Imagine that you own a home. You have worked so so much, spent so much money, put forth so much energy to get it just the way you want it. You're going to go on a long vacation, and you ask somebody to come in and house it for you. Anybody ever done that? It's a pretty common, common thing. When you come back, they have trashed the place. They've destroyed your valuables. They've thrown your furniture out in the backyard. You walk in the front door, and there are so many pets in the house, you think it's Noah's Ark. <laughs> and when, when you say something to them, the house setter, they look at you and they say, what gives you the right to tell me what to do with my house? How do you respond? i tell you how you respond. You are madder than a mosquito in a mannequin factory. <laughs> you just think about that, all right? There's an image for you. You'd be furious. You know you would. And why would you be furious? Because you would say, you don't have the right to do that to my home. I'm the owner. What's the point? Israel in the Old Testament was called the vineyard of God. God planted them. God cultivated them. God brought them out of nothing. And then he asked the leaders of Israel He entrusted them to oversee it, but they started acting like they owned the place. They started thinking that their authority was greater than God's. The tenants started acting like owners. Now, it's really easy to sit back here 2,000 years later and jump on the backs of religious leaders. The Bible says you and I have done the exact same thing. Romans 1. Although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God. They did not give thanks to Him, but became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. You and I are tenants acting like owners. And if you're here this morning and you're like, you're not a Christian, or maybe this is your first time at Berean, and you're thinking, boy, I'm glad I came for this sermon. And you're like, are you talking to those of us who aren't Christians? The answer is no, I'm talking to all of us. I'm preaching to the preacher. 
Because all of us have tendencies to act like we're the captains of our destiny, the owners of our life. And that that message gets reinforced all the time by the culture. Bon Jovi says, it's your life. Right? Let's go old school. Bobby Brown, it's my prerogative. I'm going to do what I'm going to do, right? Burger King says, you need to have it your way. The sexual revolution says, it's my body. I'll do whatever I want with it. We live in a culture that is all about individualism, drowning in narcissism, because in the play of life, we're all auditioning for the role of God. And I do this. My name's Wes Feltner. I have an authority problem. And so do you. And you see this clearly when you have children. Do you know how my kids wish they could determine their own rules, stay up however late they want to, eat whatever they want to, and when I come in and say, no, 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 there are actually parameters to life, you're under the authority of, the, of, the, of someone else? Do you think they like that? Some of you know they don't. You have those things called children. And newsflash, we used to be children. We all have an authority problem. Sin daily blinds you to the reality that everything you have, your body, your money, your time, your life, has been leased to you by a gracious creator to be used for his glory, not for yours. And that is a daily struggle. I don't care if you're an unbeliever or a believer. Tim Keller says it this way in his book, Counterfeit Gods. The original temptation in the Garden of Eden was to resent the limits God put on us and seek to be as God by taking power for our own destiny. We gave in to this temptation, and now it's a part of our nature. Rather than accepting dependence on God, we desperately seek ways to assure ourselves that we still have power over our lives, but this is an illusion. And Tim Keller didn't even know I was preaching a series on illusions. Hear me, dear friends, hear me. Jesus is the greatest comfort you'll ever know. He is the greatest hope that you'll ever know. No one will give you more peace than Jesus will give you. But before that happens, he is a threat to your sovereignty. In the kingdom that is you, there is only one king. Is it you or him? That's a threat. Because Luke 20, Jesus and his authority is a threat to those who want the place all for themselves. That's not the only threat. We also see the threat of the truth of God now in verse 11. 
He sends another servant. They beat him and treat him shamefully and send him away empty-handed. Verse 12, he sends a third. Talk about the grace of the landowner. We talk about the gospel of grace. Like after one, I'd be Rambo on steroids. You're done. But this landowner graciously keeps sending servants. And in the third servant, verse 12, they wound them and cast him out. Now, you're like, where are you getting the, 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 the thread of the truth of God out of this? It's what these servants represent. The servants in this parable represent the Old Testament prophets who God continually sent to Israel, the religious leaders in the vineyard, saying, thus saith the Lord, Stop living life your own way, repent, and return to the law of God, to the commands of God. That's like the whole Old Testament summarized in a statement. But what did Israel and particularly the religious leaders do? They kept saying, I don't want to listen. I don't want to submit. I want to live my own way. They rejected the truth of God that came to them through the prophets of God. And here's why. You ready? When you and I live under the illusion that we're in control, we will reject any message or dismiss any messenger that tries to take that authority away. It's why some of you won't listen to your parents. Some, I, I'm surprised a parent, preach, preacher, you know, like shuck the corn or do something, right? There's a reason why some of you, like, even coming to church, you're like, man, it, you know, we don't sugarcoat things here. And, and th- there's always that temptation to say, I'm not going to listen to that, and I'm not going to listen to him, I'm not going to listen to her. Why? I want to be the captain of my life. So when the truth of God comes in, it's what can I do to avoid it? Now, most of us, you know, like, don't have a bumper sticker that says, have you beaten up your pastor today, all right? At least I hope you don't. I'm going to find where you live if you do, all right? Most of us are not, are not well, I don't murder anybody. I don't beat people up. No, but we find all kinds of subtle ways to avoid the truth of God. Let me give you just a few practical ones, like we pick and choose. It's awfully quiet. You come across a Bible verse or a passage or a topic that you don't like or you're sensitive to, and what do you do? You just skip it or you try to take it out of context. Wives do this. Husbands do this. Sexuality defined this way in the Bible. On and on we could go, no, 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 no. I don't know. That's too too controversial. I, I I I I don't want to deal with that. What the truth of God is coming to you and you're finding a way to dodge it. Uh, And what you end up is with a Thomas Jefferson Bible. Do you know what I'm talking about? Thomas Jefferson dismissed the Old Testament, and he cut out all the miracles in the New Testament because he didn't believe in the supernatural, which makes for a really small Bible. But we do that functionally all the time by picking and choosing what we like and what we don't like in the Word of God. Here's a second way. Man, I hear this a lot. The Bible's not my authority. Jesus is. The Bible's not my authority, Jesus, which, which raises the question, what Jesus are you talking about? 
I'm just curious. I mean, let's just talk here. Because one of my mentors in seminary was at a conference one time of a denomination that I will not mention, and he, he found some Bible study materials that, that they had that advocated the ordination of homosexual ministers. Now, I'm not addressing that topic, so, so don't chase that. But he saw these Bible study materials that, that encouraged it, and he went to the lady at the booth and he said, how is it that you're able to endorse this? To which she said, it's what Jesus would have me do. To which he said, but the Bible condemns that, Romans 1, 1 Corinthians 6, to which she said, that's the difference between you and me. The Bible is your authority, Jesus is mine. To which he responded, what do you know about Jesus that you don't know from the Bible? To which she said, I know what every little boy and girl knows in vacation Bible school. Jesus loves me. This I know. To which he said, yep, for the Bible tells you so. I mean, seriously, seriously, I mean, I know that's funny, but, I, but honestly, when you say Jesus is my authority, not the Bible, then you have to answer, then what Jesus are you talking about? And most often what you're talking about is the Jesus you created, who's a lot less threatening than the real one. Because he'll endorse whatever you want him to endorse. He wants me to be happy. No, he wants you to be holy. So don't do this, well, Jesus, not the Bible. That's a way of dodging the truth of God. And I need a whole other sermon on this, but Jesus endorses the Bible. That's another sermon for another day. Here's the last way we, we often do this is we bargain with God. We say, okay, God, I know you're telling me to do this, but how about I do this instead? I, I, I feel like you're laying on my heart that I'm supposed to serve my neighbor or witness to my coworker, but how about I just, I'll read the Bible 10 more minutes tomorrow. And we, we, we just try to, what the truth of God is coming to us, God is speaking to us, but we say, no, 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 I want to have the final authority of what I do. See, we do this all the time. I do this all the time. This is the battle with sin. Well, I want to say one final word out of verse 11 and 12 uh, just for us as a, as a faith family. I need as your pastor to say this. You notice how shamefully they're treated and, and the way they're treated, um, the way they treated the servants. And I need to say this to you. Uh, I've been here long enough now um, that you know what we're about we, in fact, I think I told you on the very first Sunday here, we will not be ashamed of the gospel. I hope that you've seen that pattern over these, what, 10 months? We're not ashamed of the gospel. But if we're going to be a gospel-centered church, and if we're going to be a gospel-proclaiming people, we will face persecution. You will face persecution. I would submit to you, if we don't in some form, it may not be the gospel we're preaching. Now, that doesn't mean that we're arrogant jerks for Jesus. Read 1 Corinthians 13 and repent. What it means is the message proclaimed unashamedly will offend 
And all the proof we need from this text, since it's speaking about the Old Testament prophets, is look to the Old Testament prophets, which is a lot of fun. Jeremiah was so depressed, he wrote a book called Lamentations. It was all, whoa, 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 whoa. He even said, cursed is the day I was born, which means the worst day of my life was the first one. I mean, this guy was a man stuck in a never-ending Minnesota winter, wearing black, listening to old Hank Williams records, reading Edgar Allan Poe the day after his ninth dog died. The ministry that God, uh, my, my spiritual gift of sarcasm is coming out here, but the ministry that God called him to was a hard one. When you... Proclaim, thus saith the Lord, in a culture that wants, thus saith me, you won't be popular. And again, that's with love and grace, but that's what he's called us to. Moses was reviled, Samuel rejected, Elijah had to flee, Zechariah was murdered, Stephen was stoned, John the Baptist beheaded. Now, it's not that we're going to face that level of persecution, but when we proclaim a message that the world doesn't want to hear, namely, instead of worshiping and obeying God, you tried to be God and you need to repent. It just doesn't play well in a culture of me. And so I say that as a loving pastor, shepherding the flock of God in the Word of God to say, this journey that we're on together won't always be easy. All right? Because the truth of God is a threat. I'll, I'll end with this um, in, in terms of this point. I have five more points. No, I'm kidding. I don't have five more points. One of my favorite movies is uh, it's called Luther. It's from the story of Martin Luther. It details his life when he was on trial for standing for the gospel, faith alone by grace alone, uh, standing trial with the Catholic Church. And if you know the Protestant Reformation, you know the story. And what I want you to listen to is a conversation that he has with his mentor. And I want you to listen to the last thing that Luther says. I thought you had abandoned me. I thought I was alone again in this world. Be still, Monty. One slip and you'll save the emperor trial. I'm here to serve you. I just because I'm so afraid. Martin, I hoped you'd help reform the church, not destroy it. With all its sins, the church is still the church. What is a child without its family? How would people fare, left to themselves, helpless and frightened? All my life I have seen a world that hates evil more than it loves good. I beg you to look to the good, Martin. You are tearing the world apart. That day when you sent me out so boldly to change the world. Hear me, church. When God sent his servants 
out into the world? Did you really think there wouldn't be a cost? The truth of God is a threat. And then let's end the parable with the threat of the Son of God. Notice how it ends. Verse 13. The owner of the vineyard said, what will I do? I'll send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. Do you notice, do you feel the hostility building and building as the story goes on. And then finally the sun comes. And the, the, the climax of the hostility, the hatred that's been building, is ultimately poured out on the sun. And why is that? The text says they see him for who he really is, the heir. The sovereign one. In other words, this guy comes with real authority. They could kind of dismiss the servants, but when the son comes, the authority of the owner comes, and it threatens their authority because they want the whole vineyard to themselves. And so what do they do? We can't have the vineyard, and you be here. So we're going to have to kill him. Now, I plead with you again not to think this is religious leaders 2,000 years ago only, because just a couple of pages after this parable, Jesus is going to die not in a story, but on a real cross. Why? It's not because of some rebellious religious leaders 2,000 years ago only. Jesus died on the cross because of my sin. There's no other way around it. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I murdered Jesus, not in the grape field, but on a cross. That's the punishment for my sin. It is because I wanted to be king that the real king died. I wanted the inheritance for myself, so I tried to take it away from him. This is the essence of our sin. Now listen to me, Bree, and hear me, hear me, hear me. I pleaded with you last week to say, feel the love of God, not in an intellectual way, but in a real way. I'm asking you this week, feel your sin, not in an intellectual way. Listen to how the words in um, How Deep the Father's Love for Us, the song we sing, puts it this way. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. But then notice, his dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. In other words, here's the beauty of the gospel. Come here, come here, come here. The threat is you killed Jesus because of your sin. The comfort is it's his death that rescues you from your sin. In other words, the death that happened because of us is the death that saves us. Why? 
Because the son that was murdered for our sin could have said, forget you. It's your death. But no, 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 no. Not this gracious son. What he does is say, how about this? How about I willingly lay my life down and then offer my death to be yours? That's beautiful. Are you kidding me? It's the greatest news in all the world. That the result of my sin only by God's grace becomes the solution for it. And that is what Jesus is offering us. Rebellious, wicked tenants acting like we're owners in this life. He's saying, how about you give that up? Take my death as yours and I'll give you life. Which means there's only one of two people in this room and we close. You're either building your life on Jesus or you're building your life on you. Because notice how he ends it. In fact, let's just skip to verse 18. Everyone, he talks about the, the cornerstone that the, building, that the builders rejected. And then verse 18, whoever falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. That's not precious moments. That's not, hey, religious leaders, let's hold hands. We'll sing Kumbaya. It is, if you don't give up your authority, the authority of God will crush you. If you don't build your life on the rock of Christ Jesus by giving up yourself, the rock of Christ Jesus will crush you in the end. There's an old kind of ancient Jewish saying that says this, if a stone falls on a pot, the pot breaks. If a pot falls on a stone, the pot breaks. Either way, the stone will not be broken. Translation, nobody fights against the authority of Jesus and wins. The cornerstone that the builders rejected wins every time. And so we are left with one simple decision. Are we going to live for me? Are we going to live for... I'm the captain of my destiny. Are we going to say, I give up? Can I just tell you some really good news? We, we I just heard before this service started, we had a lady out of the first service receive Jesus Christ as her Savior this morning because she said, I don't want to be in control anymore. I don't want to be in control anymore. I plead with you this morning, there are wicked tenants Acting like owners in the sense that you're, you're not a follower of Jesus. You've been living life on your own. Repent, turn from that, and receive the comfort of the gospel through the threat of the gospel. Others of you, you're Christians, and let's be honest, you got, you got money, you got time, you got life, you've got a whole bunch of things. Do you really live like it's his, not yours? If not, repent. Maybe some of you just need to be encouraged this morning with, with the servants in a persecuted world knowing that, listen, at the end of the day, the gospel will be victorious. What I want us to experience 
firsthand is what Don experienced. The threat of the gospel. Not in a ex-husband trying to kill his wife, but in a my sin killed God's son. The truth has come to us. The servant has been sent to us. The son has died for us. The question is simply, will you be a tenant living like you're an owner? Because if you walk out of this room today saying, I'm in control of my life, you're living under the greatest illusion of them all. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Um, Threat, comfort, and all. Thank you for exposing our lives and the, the beauty of brokenness. How, how the kingdom of God really brings comfort to those who've been shattered. And so, thank you for the sweet grace of giving us truth. Help us respond. I believe, God, that you're working in hearts this morning. I believe that you are laying specific things on your people. So work. Spirit, do your work, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.